as they're gathering up and going that way. We've also been able to gather into the Good Shepherd Community Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, then to be able to search that out. Over 50 of you joined it this past week, so we're thankful for that. We've been sharing prayer requests and life together and doing all kinds of things. If we find something out through there, we'll also put it through the prayer channels and and the other side as well. But great things are happening there and excited about being able to share that. And today I'm also excited about being able to continue our series, Geared Up Life, and geared up for life, and we begin the second half of Ephesians now. Instead of being focused on the why, we are now focusing on the how, the actual gears. And there's no better place to start than Ephesians 4, one of my favorite texts about community and what community looks like in Christ. So this fall, are we ready to get geared up for life? Today, let's look at a life worthy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, as we come now before you, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship. Opportunity we have to hear your words and to listen to what Paul or the writer of Ephesians says to us. Let's speak about what it means to be part of the Christian community together. Pour into these words from Ephesians 4 and make them real to us them challenge us and guide us and help us to understand better what it means to live a life that is worthy. May all I say and all that we do here and at home together today may it bring glory to your name. Add your blessing to this word this morning. And everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. Encourage you to go along with U version and be able to see that on Facebook. You can see the bulletin, U version, as well as our uh, connections for the week. Those are all now there uh, as PDFs to be able to look at. So so far in Ephesians, Paul has spent the first three chapters speaking about the incalculable riches of Christ, and that this great gift of grace that we have been given. Today, Paul makes the shift in his teaching to speak about practical truths for the church. And he gives us instruction and knowledge that will better help us operate as a church in which Jesus Christ is the head. And they are things that I feel that we are going to need to remember going ahead over the next months. You see, Ephesians 4 is the beginning of what appears to be a powerful sermon on living as a Christian in a difficult, even hostile world. And all of this begins with an encouragement that leads to a life worthy that brings unity in different ways. The first unity is the unity in our walk. Say walk. Walk. Not walk. You make Chinese food in that. This is walk. W-A-L-K. Unity in our walk. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
See, Paul begins with a plea. I beg you. From a prisoner. He has surrendered his will to another. He has given over his desire to see his goals accomplished. And as a captive, he wants us to, he wants to show us how to be free. And as a prisoner, he wants us and invites us into a new way of living. This is not a goal we reach or a level or a thing we surpass. This is a gift. Salvation, new life, new freedom. Forgiveness is a gift. And our job is to realize that gift and live into it. Amen? Then it's a freedom. And what is the calling he's talking about that we have received? Paul just spent the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining that. That we are elected and predestined and adopted and redeemed. We're part of the family of God. We have the inheritance of God. We have access to the incalculable riches of Christ. So Paul says that we are to live or walk, as another translation says, in a manner that is worthy of this calling. In other words, we should have unity in the way that we live. And these first verses place a powerful emphasis on unity, and we cannot help but see this through the repeated use of the word one throughout these verses. See, Paul goes on to characterize, describe what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling. Here are the gears. He says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Remember, Ephesians part 1 tells us everything we do is a response. This call to live in a certain way works only if we understand that we aren't doing it to receive grace that comes from God. It becomes possible only if we understand that we aren't doing it to earn God's love. Christ sacrificed the gift of called salvation. It has to be this way, that all that we do as Christians, as followers, comes only after we are set free to love. And what does that life look like? Paul says that it's humility and gentleness. Say humility and gentleness. It's with patience. Say patience. That was a little quick. Have to be patient. And bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. So we are to be humble, meaning we think of others' needs ahead of our own. We are to be patient, meaning we don't prioritize our time and desires ahead of others. And we are to bear with one another, meaning that we put up with other people, even people who send an early morning text intended for the 11 o'clock service like Ben Voss, my good friend, 
as if we planned all of that to make sure that you could bear with him in love. We love you, Ben. We notice that our bearing with one another is based on what? Love. It's based on love. Right? If we love each other, and we should, we should bear with one another. It's essential to our unity, you see. I mean, pause here for just a moment and ask yourself if these qualities we've just mentioned and you just said describe you. Do these qualities describe you and how you are with others? Are these attributes things that describe our church? Humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Well, what happens when we're humble and patient and we bear with one another? You go to verse 3. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Doing these things maintains the unity of the Holy Spirit and it binds us together in peace. Church, don't miss this. We don't have to create unity. That's not our job. We don't have to create unity. That's not our goal. The work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit has already given us the unity. Amen? We're just living into it. Relying on it. That we're bound together by the calling of God, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are humble and patient and we bear with one another, we maintain that unity that God has already given to us through His Holy Spirit. You see... But likewise, when we're not humble, when we're not patient, when we don't bear with one another, we tear down the unity that God has given us. I mean, think about it, really. I've never heard of a church split because the people were too humble and too patient with each other. You never heard about 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th Baptists down the road being a split because, well, they were just too patient and too humble. I just can't imagine. I won't be a church like that. It's too patient and too humble. That is never the reason for any split denominationally, any split in a church that I've ever heard of. No. It's this unity in the church. It's the fight over the color of the carpet that destroys families. Because we do the opposite of what Paul says to do. See, sometimes we are a bear to other people. I mean, you know, bear, grizzly, right? 
But I'm not sure how good we are at bearing with people. We're really good at being a bear to other people at times in our lives. But I'm not really sure how good we are at bearing with others. When you got that text this morning from Ben, did all of you just smile and say, thank you so much for saying this to me when I'm still asleep? If I, if I had a little camera, a little audio right there on, on top of your life right there when you received that, did I hear choice words from you? We know how to be a bear. I'm not sure we know how to be good at bearing with other people. Klein Snodgrass in a commentary in the book of Ephesians says this, The Christian life is a life of putting up with other people. Amen? The Christian life is a life of putting up with other people. You might say, well, PJ, you don't understand. It's really hard to bear with so-and-so. You don't think I understand? I have to bear with you all. And I love you anyways over the last 18 months and more. Going into my ninth year. And here's the thing. Y'all have to bear with me too. You see? That's how it works. You guys aren't a picnic all the time, let me tell you. And I know there's sometimes when I'm probably a sandwich light of a load. But that's the point. We bear with each other See, friends, we'll never be a fully unified church until we are humble towards one another. That means both parties, not just one. Until we are patient towards one another, not just one, both. Until we can bear with one another, not just one, but both. We lose it sometimes with these kind of verses. It's kind of like, well, I'm supposed to do all this. I'm like... Yeah, you're supposed to do all that and the person who's across from you is supposed to do it too. If you both don't do it, it doesn't work. It's not about forgiving somebody all the time. It's not about bearing all the time with somebody else that never bears with you. It's not about being patient with someone who's never patient with you. It's not about being humble all the time with someone who's not humble with you. It's supposed to work both ways. There's accountability to both parties. You don't get off because you you think somehow you've been grieved. We are free to be all that Christ calls us to be. We are free to be humble and gentle and patient and loving. We're free to live in peace because the captivity of our nature has been made captive in Christ. That's what Paul is trying to say. Therefore, we can begin to approach leading a life worthy of this capturing, of this calling. And there's a unity to be found in the way that we live in ourselves and with those around us, with the one another's. See? And Paul then goes into a beautiful description of the unity that is found in the work of God in verses 4 through 6. He says, there is what? One body. And there's what? One spirit. Does you were called to what? One hope at your calling. And there is what? One Lord. And there's what? One faith. And there's what? One baptism. And there's what? One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Amen? One. One. 
One. We already share all of these things. That's the point. Your baptism is not different from mine. Your essence of your faith is not different from mine. Your Lord is not different from mine. And so we should also share unity together because these things bind us. And we can model that unity in the way that we, the church, live our lives. So let us develop our unity in our walk. Second, there's unity in our ministry. Say ministry. Unity in our ministry. These next verses speak to the gift that God has given to churches for ministry. These are my favorite verses. Which leads to unity and maturity in the faith. Paul first says in, in, in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's the work of Christ that has made it possible for us to experience the grace of God. The riches of God. Which includes God giving us the ability and the gifts to do ministry. To serve in ministry. And some of those gifts that God gives to the church are found in verse 11. These are more targeted towards a group. And it says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles. Say apostles. Some prophets. Say prophets. Some evangelists. Say evangelists. Some pastors and teachers. Say pastors and teachers. These positions of leadership in the church pointed people to the truth of the gospel in different ways. It's what they do. And Paul is saying that God has given leaders to the church who teach us and tell us about the work of Jesus. That's their role. As one writer writes, what a gift it is to be sent out into the world to be a sign that God is still at work, apostles. What a gift it is to be sent out as one to tell the truth to a world that loves comfortable lies, prophets. What a gift it is to be the one who can find and proclaim good news even when everyone else sees negativity, evangelists. What a gift to be those who provide care for others, for the hurting and the broken, pastors. What a gift to be those who bring knowledge, who lift up those who don't understand this world and their place in it, teachers. What a gift to be able to build up the body. Amen? These are gifts. And there are others in other lists of gifts that Paul puts together. We then see the reason these leaders are in the church. We see the result of their teaching and telling the church about the gospel of Jesus in verse 12 and 13. Because this is like one of my favorite verses of all time. It is the verse that we were told at our ordination, right? As pastors, this is the verse we're supposed to hang on that so many of us have a hard time doing, which is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. And look at this result of God giving these leaders to the church. First, to equip the saints, right? 
That's an amazing one. To equip the saints. Two, to build up the body of Christ. Three, to reach maturity in the faith. That's what these leaders help us to do. And to reach maturity in the knowledge of Jesus once you've gotten maturity in the faith as well. And to grow in maturity like Jesus wants us to look. That's a lot of benefits that these leaders, each one, brings to the church in different ways. So catch this, church. What this is saying is God wants to use church leaders in ministry to help others grow in ministry, mature for the benefit of the church. That's what leaders are called to do. And in case you didn't realize what's going on here, everyone in the church is ministering. Some are ministering as leaders and some are ministering in other ways, but they're all working in unity for the benefit of the entire church. For the growth and knowledge of the church and for growing like Jesus in the church. All of us are supposed to be helping others to do that based on the gifts that we have available to us. So members of Good Shepherd, are you ministering for the good of the church? Are you doing your part to develop unity and maturity and knowledge in this church? This very afternoon we are talking about leaders. As the Committee of Nominations and Lay Leadership and development gathers together to discern and ask people to lead the church with their gifts and their graces. And when you are asked, will you be ready to say yes because you are needed? Because you are gifted. And we wouldn't ask you to fill a slot if we didn't think that you had the God-given abilities to be a part of the body in that way. In our community group this week, uh, Roger, Allie, you might know him, he wrote this, We should remember we are a lay-led church. Once we find a direction, we need to get to work! Exclamation point. It's us, not the staff. On Wednesday night, Roger and I were talking after Bible study, and I was just talking about the lights around the building that are out that you probably have noticed sometime and gone, somebody should replace that. Somebody should fix that. That light's out over there. Somebody should take care of that. It's always somebody else, though. It's not you. We could train you to get on a ladder in about three seconds and be able to tell you how to change a light bulb out of something. But somebody else should do that. Who's in charge of that? Well, actually, you're in charge of it, every one of you. But with Roger, we're talking about, you know, David only has so many hands. Davis became this position after... And I asked him a question the other day. How many guys did it take who were part of doing this before you came on staff? 
And we came up with the great, the great knowledge of the great ones. Ed Patterson, Al Hunt, and Davis when he was a volunteer. Well, two of those three have changed because of their lives. That leaves one. So Roger and I were talking about these lights being out and just joking about it. And we watched like in the closet, the lights went out one by one until eventually there were zero lights. And we laughed. Roger said, well, I can fix that. I can do that. I know how to replace lights. I can climb a ladder. I can do all those things. I said, Roger, you got a job. You are now the light bulb replacement guy. I will put you in charge of that. I got with Davis and Roger and said, Hey guys, talk together, get him what he needs to be able to fix this and to do this. You know, and then Davis said something else to me that was really important. He said, All I need is a willing pair of hands to do many of the tasks I need to do around here. I can get up and rewire those lights, but I need somebody at the bottom of that ladder to hold the things that I need to make it so it doesn't take me an hour to do it. This is what it means to serve in the church. It doesn't mean to look at somebody else and say, well, they should be doing that, they should be doing this. It means, what am I going to do to help to serve? Over 18 months, the staff has stood in the gap and has done all that they possibly could do to keep this place going month after month, air unit after air unit, everything that needed to be fixed, taken care of, or done. We were grateful to be able to do that. But it is time for the church to take back its role as the church. That's all of you watching out there. That's all of you listening in here to find your place to be able to serve in the church. It's your church. It's not my church. I have a role. I'm a leader. And why is this? You need to find your story to serve. Why is this? Because pastors aren't supposed to do it all. That's the part of our ordination that we somehow always manage to get messed up. We're not supposed to do all the ministering. Our role is to do what? Equip the saints for ministry. To equip, to be able to get you what you need. To get Roger his light bulb so he can climb that ladder, so he can fix those lights. To get Mark what he needs to be able to work on the audiovisual place. That's his role. Not mine. To equip the saints. And so the main ministry for pastors in the Bible is teaching, praying, leading, and equipping. We are to teach you, to pray with you and for you, to lead you, to equip you for ministry. Like, I got an idea for ministry. I'm like, okay, tell me what it is. What do you need? We're going to equip all of these medical professionals over there through you. I'm not going to make 197 bags. You are. I'm going to make my part as a Christian. And then you're going to make all the others and we're going to come together and bring these and we're going to drop them on them and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, it's like manna from heaven. Because the whole church did it. We are fabulous at doing serve opportunities that way. I want you to think broader about serving in the church that same kind of way with everyone using their gifts and their graces. So who does all the other ministry in this church if it's not the pastors and it's not the staff? Well, guess who it is? 
Davis, you got to do it first before I say it. Go ahead. We want you. We need you. We need everybody to do their part. That's God's design, to do your part. We want you. Because you're gifted to do that. So when you're tempted to just say something like, well, that's just the job of the pastor, Paul says no. The job of the pastor is laid out. And actually, if you want to see my job description, it's three pages in the book of discipline of things I could never possibly accomplish all. Right? The job of the leaders of the church is to equip the church to be the church too. For the good of the church to be like Jesus wants the church to be. All for the glory of God. So let's continue to develop unity in our church and let us do so by unity in our ministry. Third and last, unity in our growth. Say growth. See, Paul says what the results will be if the church follow these instructions towards unity. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here by there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitfulness scheming. You see, Paul says that if we walk in unity, if we serve in unity, and if we grow into maturity, we'll no longer be like little children who are easily drawn away by false teaching. And Paul goes on the same verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in what? Love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. And who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. We will grow into maturity like Jesus. So let us speak what is true in each, to each other. But let's do so in love, he says. We always forget that part. We like to speak the truth, but we don't like to do it in love very often. So let us encourage each other, unify each other, build each other up. In verse 16, From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in what? Love, as each part does its work. So as we speak the truth in love, we will grow into Jesus who is the head of the church. As we grow in Jesus, we are fit together. And we are knit together. We're bound together. We're supporting each other. If you know what your knee goes out, what it feels like, or your shoulder, or whatever else part of your body wants to go out, you realize real quick these things are connected to each other. You can't have one go out without the rest of it not working the way that it's supposed to work. And every individual member of the body of Christ is important to its unity and its stability and its growth. And Paul says at the end of verse 16, the church is unified and built by the proper working of each part. If each part doesn't work the way it's supposed to, it doesn't work together. If you go out to your car and it won't start, there's a good chance there's some part that does not work. And all of us in our automotive knowledge will open the hood and go under it and look for all the things that might be broken. 
And unless it's got something that's sticking right out there that says, hey, fix me, you don't know what part it is. But you go to the mechanic, the mechanic knows what part it is. Because they're trained to look for it. Every part has to function. As a church, let us find unity by maturing together, teaching one another, encouraging one another, and stabilizing one another. Let us find unity in our growth. We find unity in our walk. We find unity in our ministry. And last, we find unity in our growth. Those are the gears that gear us up for life. Amen. And so as we think about this and what unity looks like, not unity of belief, but unity of believers, may we sit and just rest let the Holy Spirit talk to us about what it means to follow Jesus and to be gathered together as followers of Jesus.
nothing and no one, it's you and you only. Nothing could ever come close. That's what he gives to us. That's what he calls to give to each other. That unity that he brought through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for humbleness, gentleness, patience. So go out from here and live lives worthy of the one calling which we all share. In humility and gentleness and patience, speak only what is true and loving. And so grow in the unity that is ours in Christ. And may God, the Creator, reshape your hearts. May Christ Jesus, the bread of life, sustain you always. And may the Holy Spirit unite you all in the bonds of peace. We go in peace and love to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. May we be one.